You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Training camp is upon us. It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, and I'm Anthony Cazenza. It's great to be with you once again. As I teased at the beginning, we're, we're so close to the 2019 season kind of getting its official beginning, seeing as how training camp is ready to start. And as we take the airwaves once again, John Sheeran, there is a big piece of news. Last week, it was Clint Bowling's retirement. Uh, a couple weeks before that, it was Jonah Williams probably landing on IR and, and being done for the season. And this week, it's Tyler Boyd. Yeah, it's good news. It's good news. Uh, Tyler Boyd signs an extension to stay with the Cincinnati Bengals. Before we get to that, how, how are you, sir? You're looking refreshed off of your vacation. Uh, you told me you played some golf. I'm I'm stoked for you. How how are you? How you doing? How you feeling? I'm doing great. It's good to be back on the the Wednesday part of part of the calendar for for this. But yeah, it's just funny how just happened to do these right after major news breaks. I don't know if that's going to be happening during the season, but I'm I'm down for it. it. Makes our lives easier. Yeah, and by the way, uh, the Wednesday thing we're we're going to need to talk about that going <laughs> about about stuff in the near future again. But uh, for now, we're 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 recording on a Wednesday and some big news. So we're going to talk about the Tyler Boyd contract. Uh, you know, I. I told my co-host before the show that, you know, I, I took the airwaves yesterday to kind of talk about the news and some other things uh, with the contract. We're not going to, we're not going to beat a dead horse on that front. We're going to kind of come at it. Obviously I want to get John's thoughts, but uh, you know, we're going to come at it from a couple of different opinions. So we're not kind of repeating ourselves on that. And so we'll talk about that. Um, we're going to talk about the opening of training camp, some things to potentially watch at that, uh, as that opens up this weekend, and then we'll continue our list of breakout players this week. So, looking forward to a, a jam-packed show. One quick announcement, very exciting. Um, I did speak with uh, good, good friend of the show, Scott Schulte, and tomorrow night, Thursday evening, we will be recording our first fantasy football insider uh, mini show. Uh, it'll probably be about a 10 or 15 minute show, but he will be joining us and kind of kicking off the, as the summer goes and training camp starts, usually fantasy football season and planning does as well. So we thought this would be as good of a time as any to get him back on the show and talk about that. So if you can join us two nights in a row uh, for, for that, if you're able to join us live, if not, you, that'll be on all of our feeds. And of course the feeds that I'm referencing are on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Megaphone, on YouTube, and Cincy Jungle, 
uh, is where all of our stuff is also available. So get the show how you can. Well, let's get right to it, John. Four years, $43 million for Tyler Boyd, a big deal. Um, You know, I I think there's a lot of positives with this move. I think, uh, you know, I, I talked about it before we took the air. You and I, we had we had Tyler Boyd on a couple of times this winter, this or early this spring. Um, you know, he talked about wanting to stay with the Bengals, and we we kind of thought that was player speak. But he's he's remaining with the team. Awesome guy, had a fantastic year last year. Very happy for him. Your thoughts on Tyler Boyd uh, inking a new deal with the Cincinnati Bengals? It, it was the right move, and I know there was some reservation amongst the fan base about, hey, maybe we should you know, let him play out his contract, see if 2018 wasn't just a mirage or just the the very best of what he has. No, he's 24 years old. He, he made great strides last year, kind of is starting to develop into the player with the potential that he was coming out of college. And that was a guy with just a lot of high upside, just a very crisp route runner, just a guy who, who can just do a little bit of everything as a receiver. And sometimes it just takes guys, you know, a year or two to get either acclimated into a system or just acclimated into the league in general and just, going along with the way of the NFL life, you know, it's different than, you know, playing a pit for, for three years and producing there. But, you know, Boyd has always been, you know, an, an energetic guy, a, a guy who, you know, is, is eager to learn and eager to follow in the right footsteps and having a guy like AJ, I think has been so instrumental in his development and whatnot. And I think just having AJ and, and believing that he's going to be here for the next four or five years was a big part of that as well. And I just, I, I think he just wants to just to be with him in this offense, working together as as a solid duo, and you know the money obviously monetarily is is perfect for him, right above what Sterling Sterling Shepard got. You know, obviously the same draft class, similar player, similar role in the Giants offense. But you know, I I think you know removing Bengals fan bias, I I just think he's just a better overall player. He's developed into a better overall player, and just the slight escalation in salary works definitely for him. And if they had waited. For, for next offseason, you know, right before he became a free agent, there's no doubt that, you know, had he had a similar season, maybe not quite as efficient as this past year because it was a great year, he would have cost a little bit more. Just naturally, the salary cap was going to go up. The market was going to reshift a little bit. So this was the right move. This was the right contract to give out. They have the money to give out these deals, and there's no reason why they wouldn't because he's a talented player, and there's no reason to expect necessarily – maybe volume production will drop a little bit, but efficiency-wise – in that sense of, of production, you can expect great things from Boy going forward, and this was just the right deal to make. So let's let's go there. I mean, you talked about another point that I want to get to as well, but let's uh, let's talk about that. This is one of the main points I wanted to to discuss that we did not that I, I did not get to discuss uh, on the kind of breaking news portion of of this program that that was on the feeds and everything, but. What do you see, you know, does the money dictate the role going forward? Does the skill set dictate the role? Is it both? Um, it, really, are we just going to see more of the same and possibly a more creative offense that, than we did last year and, and expect a similar kind of production? Um, how, does, how does this contract, if at all, play into the role for him going forward, especially in this kind of transitional year, in 2019 well he's definitely not getting wide receiver one money like he's nowhere getting like where that market is itself he's getting high wide receiver two low like end one b yeah one b two a right where tyler lock is getting paid right where emmanuel sanders getting paid again two very similar players in terms 
of overall production. Like you can look at yards per outrun, which I think is the best efficiency metric for receivers. Uh, Lockett last year had 2.1 yards per outrun. Emmanuel Sanders was 2.12. Boyd was at 2.06. So in terms, you know, they're different players. Lockett's more of a stretch of the field guy. Sanders is more of that possession along with Boyd. But right, right around where, where their production was from an efficiency standpoint, it was right with Boyd. And, you know, with Boyd, obviously, he works mainly out of the slot. But you can also line him up in the flanker on the outside. Obviously, he did that a lot when Green was off the field. So I'm not sure necessarily the role gets a lot different. I think the targets stay, you know, when Green was on the field, those targets per game is going to be right around where he's going at. I think he's not going to necessarily be involved more so in the offense because they're going to try to implement Erickson. They're going to hope that Eifert stays healthy for more than four games. So obviously he's going to get his fair share. So I think the role is not going to change exponentially. And honestly, there's no reason why it should because he worked so well last year with with what they asked him to do. It should honestly get better for him. It should make his life easier in this system. That's going to have a lot more condensed formations, going to get more creative with his releases and the way he gets open down the field. But in just terms of just involvement and and usage, I don't don't think we're going to see an exponential jump just because he got paid because, you know, they expect him to be that again, one B two a type receiver wide receiver number two. And that's where the money is. And I think that's just what we can expect going forward. Yeah, I think as I looked up yesterday, it puts him, you mentioned Sterling Shepard. Um, it puts him at, uh, it puts him at, I think, at number 19 in terms of average uh, in the league, in terms of average money per year um, for for wide receivers. The one thing I think is, is very impressive um, and an unheralded type of thing with Tyler Boyd is 152 catches and 101 have gone for first downs. Um, so, you know, obviously that's, he's, he, he moves the chains and yeah. that, that's, that was his specialty last year. He did show a little bit more on deep routes last year, especially as plays broke down. Um, he he kind of stretched the field a little bit, but I mean, he moves the chains, he works the middle of the field. And that, as we've said on this program a number of times, is where Andy Dalton seems to excel in those short and intermediate routes. Um, so, you know, I, I think getting this security blanket for Dalton in this transitional year is a is a key uh, facet to this offense. Not only getting being successful this year, but if the Bengals end up sticking with Andy Dalton for for the foreseeable future, you know, they've built some some chemistry there. So you got to like that. You kind of you, you talk about this, and this is kind of a chicken or the egg kind of argument, I guess, with AJ Green. Um, I, I think every I think the Bengals would tell you Tyler Boyd was probably the higher priority because he's younger um, and uh, you know I, I, more affordable probably than than AJ Green would be. But um, you know I think obviously AJ Green is a guy that they want to extend. How long that is, you know, maybe another two, three years, we'll see. But you kind of, you kind of said something that I, I found interesting. That you know, you said, you know, AJ's here. He has a good rapport with AJ, and maybe he wants to stay. Tyler Boyd wanted to stay because AJ Green's going to be here. Um, is that something you think that? I, I don't know. I mean, I, we're not in those walls, but I mean, is that something that if you want to put the tinfoil hat on, you know, maybe AJ Green has has been engaging in discussions and things are moving in a positive direction and that affected Tyler Boyd. Do you think that had no impact on it? And, or do you foresee green getting signed? Um, probably not to this, to, to a four year deal, but do you see him getting signed to something this summer because 
that's when the Bengals like to take care of these types of things. Yeah, and I wouldn't necessarily rule out a four-year deal. I think that's what he got last time because he's got one more year, so it'll just be a, technically a five-year deal with four years of new money. But besides the point, I, th- I do think that just their communication throughout this process ha- has been airtight, and I-, I think Boyd coming to agreement with this, I, I believe he said he-, he told Green, he was like one of the first people he told once um, the-, the thing was like official, official on Monday. So they've been in tight communications throughout this entire process, and I don't think that Boyd would be so um, – you know, excited to sign a deal this early without having any inclination that there wasn't any progress going on with Green Steel. Obviously, they're, they've been working on that, I, I would assume, simultaneously along with Boyd because, you know, that's just kind of how they do things. But they just came to agreement with Boyd first because, like you said, he's, he's, he's cheaper and he's younger and he was probably of higher priority with that. But everything that we've heard about Green and just his future in Cincinnati just means that a deal is gonna, a deal's going to happen. And you can probably bet some solid money on that. They don't really make mistakes from this point on to, to the to the beginning of the season in terms of extensions that they hand out. So I do think that, you know, Boyd had influence with, from Green. He he has confidence that he's going to stay here, and that was probably a little bit part of his decision. But also this is about the best deal that Boyd could have uh, could have accepted at this point, could have foreseen from the Bengals in itself. Probably wasn't going to be anything more than the $10.75 million I think he got on average. I still want to see the guaranteed because um, the guaranteed numbers that I don't think the contract is up on, on Spotrack or anything, but – It'll be interesting to see how that money is parlayed over the next uh, couple couple years. I, I would imagine it's probably backloaded in that sense because he's because he is younger. But um, yeah, I, I do think that they definitely prioritize Boyd in that sense. But also Boyd, um, you know, wanted to be here with Green and wouldn't have signed this contract if he wasn't to some degree very confident that Green wasn't also going to get offered something in the near future. And obviously Green. Has you know is on the same page with the front office and that he wants to be here and I just have no doubt that a deal like that is going to happen in, in the very near future. Yeah, and I think I think the Cincinnati Bengals uh, probably learned uh, some lessons the hard way in the 2017 offseason when they lost a guy like Andrew Whitworth and Kevin Seidler, two guys that were uh, you know stalwarts on on offense. Um, I I, I kind of want to ask you this. I, I guess the optimist in me wants to think that, you know, this this contract, Tyler Boyd wanting to stay in Cincinnati is more than just the money. Um, yeah, he got paid well and he got paid probably market value in terms of average uh, average per average money per year. But the the. I, I don't know, I, I guess I look at it and I, I'm thinking, you know, is this something that we can point to and point to Zach Taylor and say, this is a guy who specifically signed this deal because he likes the direction of things. He likes the direction of the way the offense is going so that he will get his stats. Um, and he feels that this team can win in the near future. Um, you know, the money, the money's the money. And, you know, I think, I think that, he, he signed the deal because of that, but is there maybe an ulterior, I don't want to say motive, but maybe a thought on his end saying, you know, things are moving in a positive direction here. Yeah. I, I think there was that on both sides because you said that the Bengals learned a lesson by, you know, they're not going to let a guy like Whitworth leave, with, with, you know, without an offer on the table or whatever, the, or what happened with, happened with that. So 
I, I think they thought back to 2016 when they lost both Marvin Jones and Muhammad Sanu. And that's why they ended up having to take Boyd in the second round. And they got away with it. They ended up finding a solid replacement, a solid number two for Green. But I think it was a wake-up call for them saying, hey, we're not going to let a, a guy this talented who works well with Green, you know, slip through our fingers again and, and leave on the open market for maybe a, you know, a more lucrative deal in terms of guaranteed money, which is why I think they were so uh, urgent to get this deal done before the season began, before he even entertained the idea of free agency. And I do think that, you know, the Bengals do tend to, to find these guys in the draft that that have this personality that mesh with whatever culture is in the building, at, you know, whoever the coach, head coach may be. And I think there was definitely some some positive development with Boyd and Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan and the entire new offensive coaching staff where he said, I, I can have a future here as, as a successful receiver and I can build off 2018 even more going forward. And just that 2018 offseason was so crucial for him and how he finished the 2017 season and to take that momentum into 2018. And now, you know, this is a, this is a hard reset for all these young guys, specifically on the offensive side of the ball when you have – an offensive-minded head coach coming into the building and kind of running and kind of running things for new now, and it could be good for some guys, and it could be bad for some other guys. But for Boyd, I think there was a sense of confidence that this is this is a culture, this is an environment that I can continue to grow because again, he's only tw- he's still only 24 years old, and he's on a second contract. And that's that's the that's the age range that you want for these guys. You want to find these guys young when they come out of college, and you want them to develop early. And that's exactly what that, that's exactly what, what has happened with Boyd. So yeah, he probably could have earned some more money had he just played out this year. And I don't think he would have had a problem with playing out this year and playing his heart out for it. But I do think that there there was some type of uh, confidence on his end that you know I, I like where Taylor is leading with this, and I think I can 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 still continue to develop even with Andy Dalton as our quarterback. Well, the Bengals have Tyler Boyd, a key piece to their offense for the foreseeable future. Four years, $43 million is the reported number. We don't know the guarantees quite yet, but um, a good contract for what seems like for the Bengals. I mean, that's market value. And, you know, I, I talked about this yesterday. When, when the Bengals do these kind of deals, there is a major risk and major reward factor when they do these deals in the summer. Um, the major risk, of course, is that they've done a handful of these, Vontez Perfect, Geno Atkins, others, and immediately after some of those guys suffer some big injuries, which is a shame, and you can't really help that. Hopefully that does not happen with Tyler Boyd, but those, those contracts end up biting them sometimes uh, when they do those. But other times, um, it, it's a good thing because these things, these players go into these contract years, and then all of a sudden they explode, and now they want more money. Uh, and then we know that when March rolls around, teams get frenzied and they pay a lot of money to get guys, uh, Some a lot of times overpay to get guys on their team, pull them away from other teams. And we know that the Bengals are not very adept in the bidding war department. So uh, I, 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 that's, I think that's why these, these summer contracts and then getting them done before training camp, all that kind of stuff. I think that that is a very wise move by the Cincinnati Bengals and keeping a player like Tyler Boyd is uh, obviously key to what they want to do on offense and what Zach Taylor wants to do going forward. Yeah, for sure. Go ahead. Yeah. And like you said, there's just risk on both sides of the thing. Like he could get hurt. He could, you know, go crazy if if you don't, if you don't sign him now and he can be, you can, become even more expensive. So I think 
like you like you would only want to do these deals with with players that you're confident with. And usually, you know, guys like Gene Lackins, guys like Carlos Dunlap, guys like AJ Green. In that sense, guys who you feel comfortable being cornerstones of your franchise. And and generally with with wide receivers, like you, you can question their value in the grand scheme of an offense and what their value is relative to the quarterback and whatnot. But I I think when you have a guy like Boyd who proven who, who proved that he can still you know produce and be effective, even even is as acting as a number one receiver. And just a guy who can do multiple things, I think that trumps a, a lot of value from from other receivers and where other receivers for you would be hesitant to give out, you know, a, a market setting deal. Like there's no doubt that if Tyler Boyd, you know, played at a similar level and hit free agency, I, I just don't believe that the Bengals would have re-signed him. I, I think there was there was going to be another there would be another team that would have handed him a lot of guaranteed money and just would have reset the, the market for again the, that that two way receiver, which which is exactly what Boyd is. So getting this deal done now is, is the smartest thing. It's taking the necessary risk. Like every deal like this has a risk involved, especially when it's a player that's young who only has one good year under his belt. But this is a risk that they just kind of have to take. And when you're talking about the Bengals and and, and taking risks with contracts, it's usually you know not not a very good thing, but. With this in itself, I, I think this was a risk that they kind of had to take in that sense. Agreed, and they did. Uh, they they made it known that they wanted to re-sign Tyler Boyd, and they did it. Uh, we'll see what happens with A.J. Green coming up. I would be pretty surprised if they do not get that deal done, but stranger things have happened. A.J. has made it known he wants to stay in Cincinnati, so we'll see. But for now, the, the, the headline is on Tyler Boyd, four years, $43 million to stay with the Cincinnati Bengals long-term. A good move for the team and uh, well-deserved after a, a good year last year by, by the receiver. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We'll be talking about uh, training camp here. We've just been discussing Tyler Boyd's new deal uh, right before training camp start. And we'll be talking about training camp. We'll be talking about a couple of other breakout players coming up. And uh, we've got a number of different items that have been popping up on our feeds. We hope you've downloaded them. Some of them have been other little short segments of our potential breakout players. Again, we took the airwaves yesterday to talk about the Tyler Boyd deal. And as I mentioned, we'll be joined by Scott Schultze on Thursday of this week to uh, start the Fantasy Football Insider segment. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can get it on Megaphone. You can get it on YouTube, and all of our stuff is on CincyJungle.com. Anything has it has it sunk in that like, that like Bengals training is starting and Marvin Lewis is the coach? No, uh, it <laughs> it hasn't. It's it's. It, it's funny because I uh, I was on a little vacation of my own last week, and I think I saw I don't know if it was a local Cincinnati media person or some someone say, "Oh yeah, by the way, countdown to training camp. It's in like six days." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's right! I I can't even believe it." So right. it came fast, and then obviously, like you said, Marvin Lewis not being there gives it a different vibe. So this isn't necessarily training camp, but I think it's an overarching concept. I, I I'd like to see a team that is prepared. Um, and I, and however that may come about, I, 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 they may come about from Taylor doing more of the coaching. You know, he, there was something that came out. He made a comment saying that he's not going to, you know, really, he's going to give guys a lot of rest. Um, and there's, there's other things in there that, that, you know, I don't think they're going to do the Oklahoma drill anymore and all that kind of stuff. But no. I think back to so many times I was, I was thinking about this this week. 
I think back to so many week one, just terrible performances by the team, not necessarily so much recently, but um, kind of earlier in the Marvin Lewis years, there were some really bad and, and ugly week one performances. Um, obviously, we know the prime time and, and other big game type of uh, stumbles that the team has had. I just I'd like to see a team be the team be prepared, seeming like they know what they're doing as they come out of the gates. And I think that all of that starts in training camp. I don't know that we would necessarily see that firsthand. I don't know that how that would you know be uber visible to all of us, especially the people that aren't in the huddle, aren't on the sidelines, all that kind of stuff. But I, I don't know. I, I guess I'd like to see this team be confident in their knowledge of the playbook that that confident in these big games and i think that that starts in training camp i think zach taylor needs to set a tone of being prepared i think he started to kind of lay a little bit of that foundation in the mini camps by kind of quizzing guys on the spot about certain plays and they're kind of making games of that um to me i just i i think being prepared and that's that's with a lot of things in life, not just football, but being prepared ultimately gives you the confidence as you go into certain situations. And uh, that's one major facet I would like to see out of the Bengals as they as they go through this training camp. Yeah, I think for me, like the, the one negative, I guess, not necessarily negative, but something that just became like a nuisance, especially towards the later years, was that like Marvin had his guys – not only just like veteran guys that you could trust, but if like if if you didn't practice like at a certain level, you just weren't going to see playing time, and that led to situations like like Christian Western, that led to situations like Malik Jefferson. And I wanted, I, I'm really interested in seeing, you know, I'm going to be down training camp myself, and I'm going to see like firsthand how these guys you know perform and whatnot, and and seeing you know the relationship between Taylor and some of these young guys, and, may, and maybe that you know they don't necessarily you know, get it, grasp it immediately and have to have to rely on veterans and, and whatnot and how, you know, their roles are affected by, you know, how they perform in, in training camp and how Taylor kind of becomes patient with them and kind of builds them through the system and just kind of utilizes them to, to their strengths. Because, you know, when you're, I guess if you're just a coach who just has a certain way of, of doing things for a long time, you just don't have a lot of patience with young guys. I think with Taylor, I think that's just the main difference in how, he can relate to to some of these young players more, and and how he's and how he's solving Bay do it firsthand in Los Angeles and the culture that that he established there, which is obviously is extremely successful. And, and I want to see if Taylor's committed to actually playing the best players, and not necessarily the best practice players, the players that do it the way the way that he has it by the book, instead of just going for the guys that just end up getting it done. So ultimately, I I, I guess like throughout training camp and throughout preseason. There's going to be guys that, that stand out in, in, in the games and, and, and whatnot. And whether or not that, that goes into the regular season with, you know, those practice heroes and those preseason heroes and whether that ma- maintains consistency and whether Taylor's just going with the flow and, and ends up playing just the best guys, not necessarily the best guys or, or the guys that, you know, tickle his fancy in training camp and in practices and how that relationship, I guess, kind of evolves with those young guys. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I think that. Uh, by the way, I've got a, I've got a special guest next to me for those of you who are, who are watching us live. Um, I, I, I think that uh, the the relationship of the young players and the way he teaches is going to really be 
under the spotlight. It's something that was uh, talked about a lot during the spring um, in terms of his coaching style and the way that he explains things to uh, to the players and, you know, this his coaching style. I, I, right. I'm very curious to see. I mean, I know that's a broad stroke and a broad thing to – to kind of talk about, but I'm very curious to see how his coaching style, I mean, it's one thing when they're in shorts and they're kind of doing little walkthrough things It's another, when they're, you know, installing a new system, uh, full go, it's another thing when they, even though it's preseason, it's another thing when it's game scenarios. Um, you know, I, I think that these type of things can, you know, will, will go a long way in, in talking about, you know, explaining to us or showing us how Zach Taylor is as a coach, how he is, how he can conduct himself as a young guy himself um, with, with a bunch of, you know, this, this is a, a roster that's both young, but it does have a lot of veterans on it as well. So, um, you know, I, th I think that that's going to be a very telling thing and, and a really interesting storyline as we go to uh, go through training camp uh, this summer, you know, and, and, um, I go back to what I said about the preparedness. You know, I, I'm curious to see how the when these, even though they're preseason games and it's they don't mean anything, they kind of do in a way um, because this is a new team, a new coach. It just uh, if there's the energy, if there's the like I said, the preparedness, all of that. Um, I think that's that's a good barometer to see exactly what Zach Taylor is is bringing to the team and if and if the players are responding very early on well speaking of those players responding there's plenty of players who were hoping to take that next step and hoping that um their development shines under taylor but you know those guys actually have to prove it first and there's just, i can name many just right off the back of my hand of guys who whose time is basically up and it's either put up or shut up now you know this is a new regime they don't have the backing of the head coach that drafted them. This, the majority of this roster is built through the 2016 through 2018 classes, and obviously not a lot of regents and in, in, in them. But you know, there, there's hits in that class in those classes, and there's also plenty of misses. So if there's if there's one guy who you're looking for to make you know significant strides, strides so much that you know it's he's worthy of significant playing time. He's worthy of being a, a significant contributor in, in this team. Who is the guy for you that you're looking for in training camp? Well, we, we didn't prep uh, who we were going to say for each of this here. So I hope I don't steal your thunder on this one, but I, I think a guy who needs, he's, he's in that critical limbo area of his career where he's a, technically a veteran, but he's still a young guy. Um, and he hasn't shown much. He and not showing much coming into a coaching change is a dangerous formula. He was a former third round pick. I'm going to say Jordan Willis needs to show a lot this camp. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't know if I stole yours or not. I, I hope I didn't, but uh, you know, you, you mentioned a few weeks ago, Sam Hubbard was a breakout candidate. He's probably going to step into the starter role that Michael Johnson has left. He got Carlos Dunlap. Um, you know, you've got Carl Lawson hopefully coming back from from an ACL injury and a couple of other defensive linemen. They're going to try and work into the rotation and, and move around. You know, Ronell Wren, even though he's not a defensive end, he's probably going to hopefully get some snaps and be productive. You've got David. Uh, I think it was David Dean. Is that is that the, the David Dean? 
Yeah. Oh, the, you're talking about last year or you're talking about yeah, like last year, the, the, uh, well, you had uh, now Scott, you had a uh, Christian Ringo last year. Yeah. There was a couple of guys in there, yeah. but they, they're probably going to mix in a lot. Uh, they're probably going to mix in a, a couple of different guys that, uh, should get different playing, you know, different amounts of playing time. And, and hopefully Lou Anarumo does things where he mixes things up. He mixes the looks up up front, but, to me, I think this is a critical, critical camp for um, for Jordan Wilson. I don't know if Zach Taylor Zach Taylor views excuse me Zach Taylor views the um, the preseason and training camp the same way in some respects that Marvin Lewis did. In that you know, if you remember back to some of the Hard Knocks clips. Marvin Lewis talked about how, you know, guys are winning their guys are winning their positions at, you know, with certain things they do in, in the preseason games, not necessarily so much in the practices, but then he also <laughs> somehow didn't like how certain people practice. So that that's another story altogether. But, right. um, you know, it snaps. My point is snaps are limited in the preseason for a lot of guys. And, uh, you know, if there are guys on the bubble, potentially like a Jordan Willis, that's going to be a guy that needs to really make the most of his snaps that he gets. Kerry Wynn comes in. That was a guy they brought in. Um, the the guy I'm thinking of, I was, I was saying David Dean. That was a guy from a couple of years ago. I was thinking of um, uh, Andrew Brown, the other guy. from. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. The other, they were both Virginia defensive tackles. So, uh, that's that's another guy they they hope to maybe get something out of this year. We'll see, but I, I don't know. To me, I think this is there. There are a lot of guys I could point to, but that's that's a guy that Jordan Willis comes readily to mind. Jordan Willis was mine, and it, and it makes sense because he's like the most obvious answer. Because I I hyped him up plenty coming out of that that, of that year. I, I should have known that the combine was basically a mirage, and he just wasn't that athlete in, in pads and in between the white lines, but. Yeah, Willis definitely needs to step up, and I know that I think he's listed now at like two seventy five, and he came out at two fifty five. So they just bulked him up to just being to just being edge setting like run defender, and they're just I guess giving up the hope that he becomes an athletic pass rusher. So if that's his niche, that that's fine. I just don't think he's ever going to be what I expect him to be, and I guess that's kind of on me. But I'll stick with that class, and I'll go with Josh Malone. Um, yep. I, I know I know um, Kat Terrell, who's leaving ESPN Bengals going to cover the Saints for the Athletics. She actually put together a 53-man roster pro- projection. She only had five receivers to the Bengals, and Malone was the fifth. And I'm thinking, you know, if, if they do end up keeping five, I'm not sure Malone is, is is that fifth guy. I think he's right in the room with with Auden Tate and Cody Core, and even a guy like Stanley Morgan or one of the undrafted guys like like Hunter Sharp or or the uh, Damian Willis, I think, from from Troy or, or some, some school like that. So I, I don't think Malone has established himself at all, and I think it's very similar – to a guy like Willis where, you know, you know, at the combine, he showed to be an explosive and fast athlete, but, you know, two years in, he's got minimal production to his name. Obviously the snaps haven't come easy and they've only come via injury. So he's just, I guess, one of those guys that didn't practice the right way and just ended up making too many mistakes and unfortunately didn't, didn't get his chances. But, you know, I remember that them talking about him being like a second or early third round prospect that they ended up getting in the fourth. And I think that might've been a mistake on their part, just overvaluing who he was as a prospect because he was extremely raw and he was extremely young coming out of Tennessee. So obviously early contributions weren't, I guess, fair to expect from him, but 
again, year three for receivers is usually the time where they step up. And this is year three for Malone. You're, you're in an offense where you have three receivers playing 90% of the time when, when they throw the ball. So you, you have to assume that depth, that position is going to be critical, maybe even more critical than any other position on, on offense. And if Malone isn't one of those key guys right now, like he has a lot of work to do, I would think, in, in an offense that is so heavily reliant on those receivers and rotating those guys in and out. And obviously having uh, Boyd under contract for four more years and presumably Green under contract, it, it solidifies some stability at the position. But you, you would think that Malone taking a step this year would, would, would go forward and being him, having him being like a critical member going forward. But it's got to be this year where he proves he can do that because, you know, entering 2020, like he could be a potential cap casualty in, in that sense because, there, again, there's no loyalty with him and Zach Taylor. And even now, like, I, I don't think his, I think his job is far from safe. And I think he might just be the Jordan Willis of, of the offense coming from that class being, you know, that type of athlete that just hasn't really done anything yet. So it's, it's got, it's gotta be time for him to just, you know, show he's, he's got it in training camp. Agreed. And that's going to be an interesting position group to watch. Um, the wide receiver group that is obviously now that Tyler Boyd is, is, entrenched long-term. Hopefully a contract will be forthcoming for A.J. Green to finish his career up with the Bengals. And then, you know, you've got John Ross, who who knows what's going to happen there. Uh, you've, you know, you've got a scrum for the rest of the spots. You know, Alex Erickson, he may have a, a more prominent role on offense. You've got a scrum for, you know, Josh Malone and Cody Core and Alvin Tate and um, you know, Stanley Morgan comes into the mix. Some other undrafted guys come into the mix. So there, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of players in that, in that mix that will make for an interesting, um, an interesting situation there. Before we move on to breakout players, John, I'm going to ask you on in kind of the same vein. And, uh, I guess we'll try and be a little bit brief here, but you know, we're talking about maybe roster bubble guys who need to have a good good camp to make the team. Uh, what about a guy that you're pretty confident will make the team, but you would like to see him have a good camp in order to feel good or better about a position group or a specific starting spot uh, because of their preseason performance, because of how they looked in camp. Hmm. I think I'm going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like there's, I, I, I got a few in mind. I think I'm going to go with Drake or Patrick and like, I don't, like he's obviously going to make the team as a starter, but I, I just look at the secondary and how stable it is from a roster turnover standpoint. Like, uh, like I just, just going through the roster, like on defense, there's plenty of questions on the defensive line, obviously plenty of questions in the linebacker, but I mean, you're pretty confident about where the secondary is and like where it is going up against the league. I think PFF ranked them 13th, I think, which is extremely fair. And you think like, okay, if William Jackson plays at a high level, Jesse Bates plays at a high level that position group becomes really solid. But if you have a cornerback that defenses can expose them multiple times in the game, the whole unit becomes, you know, not, not useless, but extremely, you know, volatile and, and pr- primed to just be exploited and whatnot. And Kirkpatrick's always had those troubles of, of being burned on, on, on deep balls and whatnot, and just being generally out of position playing in, in deep zone. So I think how he, you know, how he fits in, in Anna Rumo's scheme in general, him being a defensive back backs coach is going to be critical for how the secondary grows, because in order for Jackson and Bates to continue playing at a high level, you know, the, the guys around him need to need to be able to do their jobs. And obviously Kirkpatrick is one of the you know more experienced veterans on this, not only the defense, but on the team in general, like there's not a lot of guys who were drafted 
before 2012 who were still on this team. So Kirkpatrick is a leader in that room. Guys look to him for guidance, but he's never been, I guess, a lead by example type of guy because he's always been extremely inconsistent. So him just being more consistent just for what he is, that number two cornerback, especially if they allow uh, William Jackson to, to kind of move around and follow the wide receiver one, him just having a solid year I think is so important for the stability and the overall level of play of the secondary because there's a lot of young talent there, but they're, they're, they're still looking for Patrick to for guidance and whatnot. And I think him just having a solid year is going to do well for their development. Yeah, and I, I hate to keep keep harping on this dubious statistic, but, you know, the, the fact that William Jackson, Drake Kirkpatrick, and Dark Denard, their three previous first-round corners, had combined for zero interceptions last year. That that didn't do anybody any favors. So, yeah. um, you know, like you said, Kirkpatrick has been a very inconsistent player. Um, you know, he's, he's a good tackler. He's got good length. He's got good speed. Uh, he, he's a good press guy, um, but there are – you know, completion percentage that he gives up isn't astronomical, which is which is good. But um, there are issues there and have been issues and there were issues last year. So uh, that's a good choice there. I mean, for me, I, I mean, I guess I could say whoever the hell is going to play left guard. Uh, that, that, that would make me feel pretty, pretty good. Um, but I'm going to go with um, – a guy who I picked as a breakout candidate, and that's Jermaine Pratt. I think I think that that is just a guy and a position group that they're gonna they're gonna lean on him. They're gonna they're gonna need to get a good you know if if he is going to be a quote unquote starter or a you know a start for two downs or whatever they're gonna do with him. Um, you know he's gonna need to show a lot. That was one of the weaker groups in, on the team. It still is one of the weaker groups on the team, but on paper at least. Um, the Bengals have had a string of early and mid-round linebackers that have not worked out for them and uh, to this point. And I think that Jermaine Pratt, if he shows well in training camp, um, I think that's going to be huge because, number one, it's Zach Taylor's first draft class, one of his higher picks. Number two, there's no Jonah Williams, so there's no, you can't really rely on your first-round pick. So you got to now look at guys like Drew Sample and, and Jermaine Pratt as kind of the – gems of this class who will be who will be available so um to me i think jermaine pratt's gonna gonna tell us his performance could go a long way in building some confidence in terms of um you know making the team and what he's going to do going forward those are some of ours there there was a couple of interesting ones in the live youtube chat before we move on to breakout players um i i see uh will smith uh, Pointed to your boy, John. I think Darius Phillips showed flashes last year. Um, let's see. <laughs> Buckeye underscore 76 says Preston Brown. Um, that probably could fall under both categories. Uh, for, well, I guess the more the latter category of starter that you want to see a good uh, camp camp from. Um, there's some questions about Alden Tate and other things as well, but uh, so people people have their own ideas as to who needs to show up in training camp, and it starts this weekend, so uh, there's going to be a lot to see as Zach Taylor opens up his first training camp with the Cincinnati Bengals, and as an NFL head coach, it's going to be very exciting and very interesting to see the responses and, and how the team kind of uh, works under his leadership and, and the rest of the new coach's leadership. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. 
You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Megaphone. You can also get it on YouTube and uh, all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. Subscribe to our channels, download our content. We've got a lot more stuff coming to you, especially during training camp. So stick with us and uh, we appreciate you joining us live. We appreciate you downloading the program after the fact uh, or both. If you're one of those people that do both, you're, you're a rock star. We love you. <laughs> so uh, appreciate it. Thank you. John, we've been going through our, uh, I think we've got six combined breakout players. Uh, mine, I, I always struggle to forget mine. I have, uh, I have Jermaine Pratt, I know. I have Billy Price, and I have Drew Sample. I th- Yay, I remembered. Uh, <laughs> and you had Darius Phillips, Alex Erickson, and Sam Hubbard, correct? Yes. Okay, I remember yours better than I remember mine. That's, I don't know <laughs> if that, what that means about my picks, but... Uh, who do you have for this week? We're gonna we're gonna start closing this list up. Probably, maybe we'll round it round it off to a nice even ten. Um, so, Fair. what what do you, who do you have for your fourth guy? So I've been mainly going with young guys. I mean, not not as young as you. You have literally two draft picks, but I've been mainly going with young guys that haven't really proven themselves or need to continue to prove themselves. So I'm gonna kind of uh, change pace here and go with a, a veteran who some would say is like one of the 10 or 15 best players on this roster, but has not arguably, I think clearly the most underutilized player. And that's Giovanni Bernard. And like, again, like the definition of a breakout player, like it's, it's fair to say that we've, we've, we've seen the peak of Gio, uh, of his ability just in general, but I'm not sure we've seen the peak of his production and the, the, the how his production has dipped from his rookie year to, to now in terms of just yards per touch and, you know, all, all you know, like average depth of target and just general depressing usage of him and his ability as a runner and a passer and a receiver has been really depressing. And I, I don't blame that entirely on, on Gio, on Gio himself. I think he's still a talented player. He's still, I think only like 27 or 28 years old and he's yeah, feels like he's been in the league for a long time. So again, he, he was another, he was another guy who just came in young as a running back. Those guys are just able to contribute immediately but when you have a running back on a second contract and you just don't use him nearly as well as you should, that falls primarily just on the coaching staff and just the offensive scheme in general. But the, the, the talk with this offense is that not only is it going to run the ball more effectively, and I don't know about more often, but more effectively and more optimally for the running backs, but also giving mix and breaks, you know, making sure he doesn't wear it down as the season goes on, limiting his touches towards the end of the season. And, someone's got to take those touches whether, you know, receiving the ball or carrying the ball. And I think how they use geo is going to be so crucial with how this offense continues to grow and continues to be effective towards the later part of the year. And I don't really buy into the, to the mindset that you have to run the ball like late in the year. I think if you just pass the ball effectively, you're going to be fine. But with geo, again, you can do both and you don't have to line him up out wide. You don't have to line up at, him up in the slot for him to be a better receiver, a better pass catcher. You just have to utilize him more creatively, whether in play action, like rollouts and bootlegs and get him, you know, out on, out on the perimeter, get defenses focused away from him. And don't be afraid to just run him up the tackles because again, when he had to be the bell cow early on, even last year, when, when Mixon was hurt, he, he was fairly effective just as a, just a general runner when they didn't really have to do anything creative for him. So I, I just think they've just been, they, they, they've just been scared to just give him the ball in general, they just want to feed either Jeremy Hill or, or Joe Mixon because they invested in making them the primary runners. But if you're going to be in a system where you're trying to take some pressure off your RB1, Giovanni Bernard is the perfect RB2 because he can literally do anything. And we've talked about 
even we've talked about his best asset might just be pass protection. That's always been his value being on the field in third down, but just don't be afraid to use him more as a pass catcher and just use him more creatively. So I, I think that we're going to see some type of uh, renaissance of his production and his efficiency in this offense, not necessarily from a volume standpoint, but just in a general usage and how he's, he's not going to get relatively close, I guess, to, you know, over a thousand total yards, but definitely better in terms of yards for catch yards for yards for run and just getting like, you know, 10 to 12, maybe 15 touches a game and they're, they're not going to regret it. And he's still talented. And you, again, you have him under contract for a, a year or two more at a, a, at a fairly you know decent rate. So might as well just make the most of it. I, I love that pick. And yeah, I mean, it, it depends on one's definition of breakout and uh, he's entering his seventh season and he's 27 years old. Um, as a guy, you know, running back, entering his seventh season, he doesn't have a lot of wear on the tires, so to speak, because, like you said, he's largely been a rotational back his entire career. What I want to see out of him, to your point, John, I want to see two things, and I think it would really benefit him from a production standpoint. Number one, I would like to see him line up as a straight-up wide receiver at times. Um, just just put him out there. Split him in a slot, uh, especially with Mixon on the field at the same time. Why not? Um, yeah. you know, get, get creative, get those guys both on the field at the same time. If you can, um, that, that to me would be, uh, I think that would be very beneficial. And I think the other thing that would benefit this offense and kudos to Bernard, because oftentimes he makes quite a bit of something out of nothing, but I would love to see them give him the ball in plays and and in scenarios that are not so predictable there are so many times when he's out there that i've been able to say screen um and sometimes sometimes that's okay with screen passes because if you block it right and everybody can know that you're running it but if you block it right it's still going to go a long way but there are times where the with the swing pass the poor guy gets rocked in the backfield because it's such a predictable play and the blocking is poor so I would like to see less predictable plays centered around Giovanni Bernard as uh, this, you know, as this year progresses and potentially he gets more touches. How weird do you want me to get, John, with my pick? Always weird. Always as weird as you can get. Always. Because I've got a really weird, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking down the line of the roster and there's a couple guys I could go to. There's, there's one guy for some reason. And to me, same kind of deal, been in the league for a long time not nearly as well liked as Giovanni Bernard. <laughs> um, but there's a guy and really a lot of people are going, Oh boy, he's, he's still on the roster. He's still on the roster. Um, I could go a lot of different ways, but since we've done a lot of special teams type of guys, Alex Erickson, Darius, Darius Phillips, do you know where I'm going to go with this one? I think I do. I'm going to go Randy Bullock. I knew it. I knew it. I knew I'm going to go Randy Bullock and here's why. I think that this offense can put up points, and I think that they are going to be in position to put up a lot of points. I think they're going to create short field goal opportunities, which is Randy Bullock's forte, and I think he could get uh, – last year he had, what was it, only like tw- uh, 20-some attempts. I'll have to look. Not very many attempts. He had a decent percentage, I think, um, but uh, – uh, 23 field goal attempts. I mean, that's that's the year before 20 field goal attempts. That's not very much uh, mm-hmm. in 15 games and 16 games. Um, there, he's never attempted more than 35 in a in a given season, and that was with the Texans back in 2013 and 2014. Um, 
he made 30, 30 of 35 back in 2014 for a decent season and then all 40 extra points that year. But, um, you know, I think that the Bengals offense will put up more points this year, even with the offensive line issues, even with, um, you know, a new system and all of that. I think they'll put up they, – they really can't put up less points than they did last year. I mean, it was – God, they went through so many dry spells. I think that they will move the ball, put Randy Bullock in a position to – kick more field goals. It's on him whether he, he's able to do it. They didn't bring any real uh, – who they bring in? Tristan Vizcaino is the is the other guy on the on the roster who – You have to be looking at the roster sheet to pronounce that correctly, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I looked okay. at it earlier. But <laughs> okay. um, a guy that didn't do much in college himself. So I, I don't know. I You know, I, I just – I think that this may be a, a little weapon in the arsenal, if you will, that nobody's was that, was that a short joke? Because he is pretty short. Yeah, he's pretty short. He's he's like five nine. I mean, gosh, yeah, we the two short guys, Geo and Geo and Randy Bullock. Um, but I, I just I think that he is a guy that nobody's talking about. He'll get the job uh, unless he gets hurt. And if you give him enough opportunities, and if you give him shorter field goals, he'll probably hit them. So I think he could put up a decent amount of points for this team. Will he be a Pro Bowl kicker? No. But I think that that is going to be – he's going to be a big key as to the success of this team this year, and I think he's going to get a lot more field goal attempts. So potentially I think he could break out and and have one of his better statistical seasons, if not his best statistical seasons, in this system. Am I wacky? It's just funny because, like, a lot of people say that we have, like, the very definition of just a borderline replaceable quarterback, whereas Bullock is, like, the very definition of a replaceable kicker. Because, like, the things he does well is, like, basically what any kicker can do well. Right. Just be be accurate below 50 yards. And the things he doesn't do well, which is kick beyond 50 yards, and unfortunately in clutch situations, he just just can't do it. Which is why I think we've – we kind of, you know, goffed at the idea that he got an extension in the middle of the season last year – and the fact that they aren't looking for competition there, but I, I think you are. I think you do have logic there because you know so many times that they, they were stopped short just at midfield or just beyond midfield, and they didn't have the aggression to you know continue the drive and get him in more comfortable field goal ranges. Because honestly, like when you have a kicker that you're not confident with, you know, going over 50, that limits your options. But if if you're aggressive and you put yourself in better situations on third down, where you can keep when you, you can keep the chains moving, it works out better for your kicker. So. I I, I, w- I would say that Bullock is going to get more attempts, and as long as you know they're not over fifty yards and they aren't um, under two minutes left with the game on on the line, I think he'll he'll do fine. He's always been accurate when he need, when you know when when it's been in, in his favor, but um, unfortunately, I don't think he's going to be magically accurate beyond fifty yards or magically clutch unless just something miraculously happens. But I do think that you know his his total points is going to go up, and I guess. Maybe that's more of a fantasy thing than, than, than anything. He's like a breakout fantasy player. But, yeah, like he's going to get more opportunities just because the ball is going to be moved more and the offense is, I think, going to be generally better. So I, I guess, you know, for him, he's going to get some he's going to get some more points on the board for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's two schools of thought here, right? I mean, you look at what the team did at the end of last year and Jeff Driscoll's in the lineup and they're not really moving the ball. So they're going to punt a lot and he's not going to get – field goal opportunities well in the games that Jeff Driscoll either basically started or started there were three games there were one two three games where he had only one field goal attempt and then three other games where he had either two or three field goal attempts so I mean it it could kind of go either way based on how you want to argue it but 
you know, I, I just think that a lot of times there were so many three and outs on offense. There were so many things that where the offense didn't move the ball. And, uh, you know, you, you think you have Andy Dalton healthy. Maybe you get another 15 yards on a drive, another 20 yards on a drive. That makes a difference where it sets up a field goal opportunity. Obviously, more, situ- more, more situations for Bullock to get points and for the team to win games. I don't know. I just see him getting to the point where he will have more attempts, more points, and maybe have a bigger impact on this, a bigger positive impact on this team in 2019. Again, I'm not saying he's going to be a star, a, a pro bowl or anything like that, but I think we could sit here and say, you know, Randy Bullock did his job. He did it pretty well and on a lot of attempts because this offense moved the ball. That's my point. Yeah. So if you want to boo me out of the building, that's fine. Um <laughs> It's just, it's just the problem is like kickers, like they only become less accurate, you know. Like it's not like he's going to become like more accurate from where right. he is now because right. what right. was his like career like 80, 85 or something, which is yeah. just serviceable. It keeps you in the NFL in itself, but it's not like he's just going to be like Justin Tucker levels out there. So unfortunately, I guess he can only go down from like an accuracy and efficiency standpoint. But like from your point, opportunities are going to go up, so naturally, like there's going to be more opportunities for him to score more. Yeah, potential for success can go up. Potential for for, for failure could go up too. But um, <laughs> you know, I I I'd, I'd like to think that he'll he'll convert some kicks this year and uh, will be a valued member of the team. Those are some other breakout players. We'll probably do a couple more going forward. Let us know what you think of those. Let us know some of yours. Um, a lot of people are saying they believe uh, death. Death to religion says Geo needs to touch the, the ball, even with Joe, meaning mixing, um, even returning for God's sake. Um, Robert Obrecht says, I like John Brown, meaning the kicker, better than Bullock, in my opinion. Uh, more leg and longer kickoffs. I think a lot of people saw the upside there, but uh, just didn't work out. Um, so couple of other guys that uh, or opinions on some of the guys we, we chose. We've gone a little long here. Um, this uh, we're, I guess it's kind of uh, warranted given the big news with Tyler Boyd and the opening of training camp. We had a lot to get to, but any final thoughts before we cruise on out of here, John? Um, yeah. The next time that I'm going to be on here, it'll be past training camp. The start. I hope to be at a few of those practices before I come back on here. So if you are in Cincinnati and you do plan on coming down, definitely you know try to find me. You all know what know what I look like if you're watching on YouTube. And I just found I just find that you know I, I go alone, but I always find that I do better and make better observations when I'm watching it with somebody else. You know, you take better notes. You you have more eyes watching it. So definitely feel free to just like you know say hi, chat, you know say what's up, and feel free to watch. Feel feel free to watch it with me. I'm I'm not saying that I'm lonely in in a sense, but I'm just. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm there. I'm there in case you need me and, and definitely say hi and, and we'll, we'll have some fun watching the Bengals. John, John don't bite is what he's trying to say. Nope. John, you don't bite. I like it. Uh, this is, this is the time of year that I really like because it's the start of a new season, obviously, but it's also one where I get very jealous living where I live, believe it or not, not because of the weather, but because Folks like yourself can just cruise on down to training camp with ease. And uh, I, I am not able to do that, unfortunately. So um, I am very, I, and I will be very reliant upon your observations and, and what you see there. If you do happen to do some, some videos or whatever, John, let me know. And we can, you know, we can get those on our channels and everything. But um, 
have some fun. And uh, by the time next next episode rolls around, you know, we'll be we'll be talking about some things. And, um, you know, hopefully you've got some good observations for us and let us get some good firsthand knowledge. For sure. All right. You can get this show, as I've mentioned a, a couple of times, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Megaphone. You can also get it on YouTube. Subscribe to all of those channels, and all of our stuff is on CincyJungle.com. Thanks to our subscribers. Thanks to our live viewers. Thanks to those of you who download the program after the fact or do both. We appreciate it. We appreciate all the support. We, we're excited. Training camp's here. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a myriad of emotions going on, but uh, it should be primarily excitement given the new coaching staff direction of the team. And um, we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. But however it plays out, we'll be covering it here and on CincyJungle.com. So keep it with us. We appreciate the support. We'll see you next episode. Mm-hmm.